Whew. Man, I don't know if I got much else to say. I do. So buckle up, but <laughs> um, I'm just sitting back and I'm just listening and I'm like, man, that is legitimately what it's all about. Right? And then some of the things, some of the things I heard was, mm, I was lost, but thank God the good shepherd came and found me. Right? I heard a lot about what God has done. I mean, they had to make the public. They, I heard that a lot of people say, I choose. I choose, which is powerful. But well, we got to realize that we are not here without Jesus. We are not here without his grace. And I'm so thankful for uh, an amazing group of people here that can make stuff like this happen. I came in this morning, and I was just like, I walked up here, and there was no water in the tank. And I'm like, yo, we need water for a baptism. <laughs> but this baptism tank fills up much quicker than the ones I'm used to. So it was okay. We had water in there. We weren't faking it. Um, but we, <laughs> we, we have an amazing team of people here. I showed up here this morning and I focused on, you know, getting ready to, to, to lead music and, and to preach. And everything was done. Like everything was set and ready to go. Pastor Connie and Pastor Orlando were ready to go get in the water, and you can see the joy on their face. They were happy to be in there. And uh, I, man, you got to realize, Warden, that's something to celebrate. That you got people here that are willing to give their time and to serve behind the scenes, and they are they are the heroes. They are the people who. And so I just want to honor all you guys. You got here early to make all this happen, and uh, we don't talk enough about it. Of how many people, all the people that came early to cut up, cut up fruit and different things. Uh, bless you guys. And you know what? I'm going to tell you, as we grow, we're going to need more volunteers. That's, that, that's, just, that's just the facts of the matter. And you notice how I said, as we grow. I'm not talking about it as an option. Because the kingdom of God has to advance. I, wanna, I want more baptisms. Amen? We get to celebrate. We get to have a time here just... Amen. And it's, it's, not, it's not about the fact that so we can tell people, oh, we had a full house today. No, we need this house to be full because people need to hear about Jesus. I want people that are in this neighborhood and in this city to talk about what's going on at Warden Full Gospel Assembly. What's going on over there? Why are they baptizing so many people? You know what I mean? That's what I want to hear. I want people to come and see what's going on. I want there to be a commotion. Can we call it a commotion? That people want to come and figure out what is going on over there. What are they doing different? And you know what? We're not going to do anything different. We're just going to invite Jesus. We're going to invite the Holy Spirit. And we're going to trust the Spirit when we're at our workplace and when we're at our social places. That when he says, go speak to them about me, go do it. (laughs) When God asks you to, to love somebody by giving them, caring for them, blessing them, go do it. That's the gospel. That's the, the great gospel that we've all accepted. And I, I love how the language this morning about Father, about him going and finding them. And, and uh, I also like the fact that, you know, we've heard a lot of negative about this time in COVID. But did you hear a few positive stories of what Jesus did through that there this morning? It sounds to me like that if COVID didn't happen, if this adversity didn't come in their life, it wouldn't, it wouldn't you know... 
it seems to have been one of those moments that opened their eyes to their need of Jesus. And I'm just, I got to tell you, you, know, when we, you might be here this morning, you might be in a dark place. You may be saying that, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I hope you realize that you can say, I will fear no evil, because his rod and his staff. I hope you know that, you know, in, the, in, in, in those dark times in your life that God still speaks. And sometimes he speaks louder and he's speaking louder. And just open your ears and be willing to hear what he has to say to you. Amen? All right. That was a pre-sermon sermon. But I had to get all that off my chest because I'm so moved. It's hard for me not to be in the water, but I know a lot of things going on. And, and I, I want to share that joy with, with uh, Pastor Connie and Pastor Orlando. And you can see the joy on their face. They love doing it as well. But it is one of the coolest things as a pastor. I, do, I tell people all the time, the coolest things I do as a pastor is baptize people in water, dedicate babies. Those are the fun things, man. Do weddings, all these things where you get to celebrate and, 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 and just, yeah, there's just so much fun. And you know what? If we can't celebrate something like this, then what on earth are we doing? My sermon this morning is entitled, A Very Simple Little Question, is So What? I had a conversation about reading books with a friend of mine uh, a while back. And we, as we were talking about the books we read and, and, and different things, we determined, and we were talking, we determined that, you know, unless, after you read a book, unless you kind of ask the question, so what, about what you've read, what's the point? You know, and, and I, people ask me all the time why I don't read fiction and why I don't read these things. And maybe I should, you know, I... I I love reading biographies, I love reading theology, I love reading things to do with my faith and stuff like this, but, but I don't read a lot, of, a, a lot of fiction and different things because when I ask the question, so what, I know there's joy in it, I know there's great, greatness in stories, and, but, but I, I just love asking that question and then getting the answer of something I could take about my walk with Jesus and something to make me uh, a better servant of his. So what, and I ask myself, so what does the book say? How do I apply it to my life? How, so what has it added to my life by reading it? Imagine someone buys a book and how many how-to books are out there? You know, there's how-to videos on YouTube and whatnot. But you imagine, imagine somebody buys this book about how to refinish a table. And they read it and devour it and they study it and they look into it and they, and, and, and they understand it completely and are generally fascinated by the contents uh, but never refinish a table. I mean, that happens sometimes. Sometimes things are just interesting. Now imagine you're sitting next to this person at their ill-repaired table, and he or she begins to share their extensive knowledge about how to refinish a table. And you look at them, and then you look at their table, and you look at them, and you look at their table. And what is the next natural question you ask them? So when are you going to do it? Or... Or, oh, wow, it's going to look really great when it's done. You know, there's an assumption that takes place here. Then they look at you and they say, oh, I, I'm not actually going to refinish it. And you're like, what? Why not? You've done all this study. You've done all this work. You have a busted table. You know, you, you have the know how to do it. Why did you read the work? What's the point? When are you going to do it? Then they look at you and say, I'm not going to do it actually. I just, I don't know, I would be kind of bewildered. I don't know about how, how you feel about that. The reaction to all this unapplied knowledge would have to be, so what? So what was the point of reading it? So what was the point of studying it? 
So why read and study the book? Info is just info if we do not ask the question, so what? If we pick up the Bible every day and read it, but do not apply the words to our lives, then so what? If we come to church and have a great time, enjoy music and feel blessed, but leave here unaffected, unchanged, so what? I mean, it sounds kind of harsh, right? But, but it's true. I mean, we need to be asking, you know, how things apply to our life. How the word of God applies to our lives. James 3, verses 22 and 24 says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Now, I know most of you look at the mirror and you're like, you're, you're so impressed with what you see and you're like, you're not forgetting that face to save your life. You're like, you know, and you're fixing your hair, you know, but can you imagine you go look at yourself in the mirror and it's like, oh yeah, look at that. Wait a minute. Oh yeah, I still look like that. Okay, then you walk. Wait a minute. How do you forget what you look like? How do you forget what you look like? Sometimes I look at pictures and I'm like, do I really look like that? But how do you forget what you look like? It's, it's such a, a clear passage that when you read something, you study something, you don't apply it to your life and you walk away and you don't let God change you by the words that he has given you or, or the spirit of God speaking to you. Then it's like walking away from a mirror after just looking at yourself and then forgetting what you look like. It sounds absurd because it kind of is. We need to be asking ourselves on a daily basis, so what? Jesus may not have used these exact, this exact question, but he definitely implied it at times. In Matthew 23, verses 1 and 12, uh, we get to hear some of Jesus' frustrations with the Pharisees. It says, Then Jesus said, beginning of verse 1, to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. Can you imagine? Jesus is right here, and they looked at me, and he said, do what he says, but don't do what he does. Ooh, man, that was sting. I don't know how I'd feel about that. Not good. He says, so you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and their tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and be called rabbi by others. The greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. Father, I pray that even right now you would begin, Lord Jesus, to let our heart be changed by your word this morning. Lord, I don't want to walk out of here forgetting what it looked like. I don't want to walk out of here and not being changed by your word, not being open to the spirit and what you want to do in my life. Lord, we heard a testimony. Seven people who have been open to what you want to do in their life, Lord Jesus. And we celebrated that today. Father, we love you. I pray you would guard my heart. That you would guide my mouth, my thoughts, my speech today as I present your word. I pray that you would be the primary communicator in this room. And that I would just be a vessel. Lord, use me for your kingdom today. In your precious name we pray. Amen.
It's interesting to note that Jesus never says that the Pharisees are ignorant. They're not ignorant about the word of God. In fact, they had extensive knowledge about the Torah, about the the writings of the poets and the prophets. (coughs) Excuse me. But that's the reason Jesus was so direct, because they were so versed. They did have the knowledge, but they did not ask, so what? They asked, so what should I do to advance my own status? But they didn't ask, so what should I do to advance the kingdom of God? They distorted God's word and used it to advance their own status and position. So Jesus rightfully looked them in the face and said, you know the word. You pray long prayers on the corners where people can see you. You place heavy oppressive requirements on people. But what has all your knowledge done in your own life? Obviously, emphasis mine. That's kind of my own translation right there. Jesus is saying, what does any of that matter if you do not express God's love and apply his knowledge? This is why baptism in water is so amazing. It is publicly displayed answer to the question, so what? It is a publicly displayed answer to the question, so what? We are saying publicly and with accountability that we have died to our sin and we have risen to new life with Christ. Romans chapter 6 verse 4 says, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Now this passage is a reference to our baptism into salvation. It's not necessarily a reference directly to water baptism, but... but um, What we saw today is a symbolic representation of our baptism into salvation. It is a symbolic representation of what Jesus Christ has done in our life. Water baptism is a visual public representation of what this passage describes. How could we possibly be baptized into this great salvation through the death and resurrection of Jesus, burying our sin and rising to new life without asking, so what? So what does that mean for my life now? So how does it change? I hear stories, you know, about, you know, how COVID confronted a few of these young people. And they had to realize, you know, someone asked them, you know, why do you serve? Why, 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 why are you consider yourself a Christian? And they had to ask themselves, so what? So what? So why do I? So what is the point of me saying I'm a Christian? What do I believe? They had to ask themselves a question. Question. That's how they, part of the way they got here this morning, and that's that's worth celebrating. But going through the waters of baptism is a, is us publicly declaring. So what I am going to do is live this new life out loud. So what I'm going to do is live this new life out loud. Romans chapter five and six explains with beauty that Adam brought death through sin. It's one act of sin you know, way back in history, brought death through their sin. But Jesus brought life through a gift, through grace. It wasn't Pastor Connie's sermon last week so great? It was amazing. She talked about grace. I remember she came to me and she said, man, it just feels so simple. I'm glad it's simple. And I'm glad that I need to be reminded regularly of the grace of God. 
But she did such an amazing job. And so I'm not going to get into a great detail of describing Grace this morning because she did such a great job last week. And if you weren't here, you can go check it out online. I invite just go listen to her sermon. It'd be well worth your time. But this is the contrast that the world struggles with. On the one hand, we got Adam who brought death through sin. And on the other hand, we brought Jesus who brought life through grace, through a free gift. This is the contrast that the world struggles with. Literary, literary giants like Leo Tolstoy and uh, Fyodor Dostoevsky. I think I said that right. You know, Leo uh, Tolstoy wrote, wrote War and Peace, one of the most famous literary piece of fiction ever written, I think. I haven't read it uh, as to date. I don't know if I've been able to commit enough time to get through the 1,440 pages it would take. But it is a bucket list thing I want to do. And uh, Dostoevsky's most famous writing was probably Crime and Punishment, among others. But both struggle with this dichotomy about the sin that was brought into this earth by Adam and about the grace that was offered through Jesus Christ. So Tolstoy, on the one hand, became so aware of his sins, uh, sin's effect on his life that he became incredibly works-based and, and, he, and he just was so aware of the kind of the idea, you know, remember back in the day when we had the bracelets, what would Jesus do? He was so overwhelmed with this concept. What would Jesus do? He took the gospel so literally and he applied it so literally to his life. Then Dostoevsky, on the other hand, lived a licentious lifestyle and was a voracious gambler, literally pressured to write more books so that he could keep up with his gambling debts. At one point in his life, he found himself in a brutal prison and eventually in front of a firing squad only to be saved by, uh, at the last minute by a letter from the Russian czar. I believe it was Nicholas I. After returning to his cell and through a series of events, he was gifted with a New Testament, which he then devoured. And through his firing squad experience and the effects of the New Testament, his life was so amazingly changed by grace. The themes of holiness, piety, and grace permeated both these literary giants' lives, but in such different ways. One was so very much focused on just trying to be holy, trying to be like Jesus as much as he could, that he didn't give grace and he didn't receive grace the way he should. And on the other hand, the other one took grace into his life so much, but yet it didn't affect him in a way where he still struggled with sin his whole life. I recently read about these two gentlemen in a book called Soul Survivor by Philip Yancey, and he was talking about how they affected their life. And now I'm inspired to go read more of their work to try and, because I'm, I'm moved. And, and, and it makes me realize that these literary giants, you know, were just people like us, dealing with the same things that we deal with. Dealing with the same struggle that we have is, is the sin that has entered the world and the free gift of, of Jesus Christ. And we struggle to receive this free gift. Death coming through sin is not the hardest concept to understand, but life through a gift, that is another thing. When sin comes in and, we, and, and people say, oh, well, you have to die for your sin, people get that. But an unmerited free gift, people struggle to receive that. Grace is not the path people want to take in order to receive eternal life. They would much rather earn it, as Tolstoy attempted to do. Even when we do 
accept grace from God, we still let sin mess with our head on times. Our sinful nature will try and make us believe that because the grace of God is endless, we can live however we want. Grace will cover it anyway. And Dostoevsky struggled with this much of his life. But thankfully, Paul clarifies this in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. Because the grace of God changes you. The Pharisees consider themselves the most righteous of all people because they paid so much attention to the physical requirements of the law, yet each requirement was another checked-off box on their own to-do list each day. It was the things that they did because they had to do, because it protected their status. It protected how people viewed them. It protected their pocketbook. It protected all the things that was publicly displayed. They had a flawed, if any, understanding of grace, and they were crippled by delusions of grandeur when it came to the law. I think so much about how I pray, specifically publicly. And I don't know how people feel about how I pray, but I don't often, I don't know. I always try to pray like I'm just talking to Jesus. I like to start with the word Father because it means it hits me in a place My dad was such a a powerful example to me. And even to this day, when the Holy Spirit speaks to my heart, it it communicates the same way that my dad's big hand on the back of my head when he would pray for me communicated to my heart. But I just talked to Jesus. And I hope one of my greatest goals in life is, is to be the same person in my desk as I am at home sitting with my kids, as I am at Canada's Wonderland, as I am up here, I just want to be like, this is, this is all I just want to be. I don't want to be caught in the same trap as the Pharisees where, where people say, you know, they were just so caught up in, in the status and the look at me, look at me, look at me kind of attitude about it. And that's not what the kingdom of God is about. The law exposed the world's need of Christ. The law of the Old Testament, its primary purpose was to expose our need of Jesus Christ. It was pointing to the cross all along. It was impossible to fulfill. When you look back at the requirements of life, you go back and and look at it all. No man could ever do everything perfectly. You couldn't do it. And it exposed our need of grace. It exposed our need of a savior. The Pharisees never learned this. They instead acted like they were perfectly following the law, never asking So what? But Jesus asked them, though. (laughs) Jesus asked them. Jesus called them out, Matthew 23. And he says, so what if you wear your fancy clothes? So what if you pray loud on the corner? So what if you have the power you covet? It doesn't matter unless you die to all of that. Unless you humble yourself. And become a servant. What a powerful statement. We are going to understand fully what we have witnessed visually displayed today through these baptisms. We must understand that first of all, we are buried with Christ. Second of all, we rise with Christ. Thirdly, that we have new life. Have you ever been to the beach and think, 
I'm going to run into the water. You know, you got two different types of people, right? You got the people that tiptoe them way out in the water. And if anybody gets near them, they're like, don't splash me. I can be that guy sometimes. You know, you tiptoe in the water and you, you feel. And just, just as a, a side note, when I got baptized, I walked out the slipway into the Atlantic Ocean in Newfoundland. A slipway is how you get your boat into the water. And so I, I literally walked down the, the slippery wharf slipway out into the water and met my, my dad and uh, a gentleman named Ray Stride, who was my, my Sunday school teacher, recently passed away. I'm thankful for the Ray Strides in my life, man. But it was cold. If you didn't know, the Atlantic Ocean is cold. <laughs> people post pictures of icebergs along the coast of Newfoundland in the summer for a reason. It's cold. And there's this one picture that keeps popping up in my Facebook feed every now and again because my dad will repost it or somebody reposts it. And I'm like this. I'm about 11 years old, just freezing, trying to take what I'm doing seriously. But I, I think my bloodstream below my waist is like freezing as I'm speaking. It was cold. So be thankful for your warm water this morning, folks. But have you ever been to the beach? You know, like I said, you got two types of people. You got the type of people that just tiptoe. I'll get in when I'm ready. You know, and and those people just look at the other people, just run in. Those obnoxious people. How dare they? They come back and try to splash you. You know, don't splash me. You know, don't don't get that way. But others just run and dive in. But those who run in always have to have a plan. If not, you'll end up on a YouTube video, which is my goal in life, not to end up on one of these YouTube videos where it's just, you know, just those don't do that videos. You know what I mean? Where people just get like just completely maimed by waves and stuff. But those who run in always have to have a plan or, or should have a plan about when they would stop running and dive and then start swimming. This may be super obvious, but it becomes difficult to keep running after a while in the water. Especially if you're not, if you're like me, I mean, I don't, I don't know, I, I, I'm kind of buoyant like a seal, right? So I just float right away. Next time you're at the beach and you get a chance to run into the water, and even if you're a tiptoe person, just try this experiment with me. Try to see how long you can keep running. Like, really try. No matter what you do, at some point you will have to do something different to keep your head above water. And if you do do that, make sure somebody records it because it'd be funny and I'd like to see it. When we are buried with Christ, how we go about life changes afterwards. When we die to our sin, how we go about life changes, not because we feel pressure to, but because the Spirit of God compels us to, because something has told us that things are not the same anymore. God compels us through his love and reminds us that life is not the same anymore. I have never seen anybody get baptized, go down in the water and come up bone dry. Wouldn't that be a trick? When we are buried with Christ, how do we go about life's changes? Not because we feel the pressure but because the Spirit of God compels us to change. When we are baptized in water, it represents a transition from life to eternal life. Hallelujah. 
When we begin our new life with Christ, there is no way we can go about this life living as we used to. There's no way we can read the word of God, have the spirit of God change us, and not ask the question, so what does this mean for me now? The Pharisees were not baptized into this salvation. They didn't understand salvation. And they wouldn't understand the beautiful drama or the sacred play that we witnessed here this morning, as it's sometimes called. When we make our public declaration, as our candidates have made today, the word, if we go back to Romans 6, 4, the word for buried in the Greek is synthapto, uh, and it literally means to be buried with. And, and I want you to focus on the word with for a moment. It's not that you're just buried. You're buried with. That word is so important. We are buried with Christ. If Jesus Christ did not die, was not placed in that tomb, did not rise again, we could not be buried with. He was the first fruits from amongst the grave. We were buried with Christ. Hallelujah. The who here is what matters. The word for rise in the Greek uh, is thanatos, which means to arise, to stand from a prone position, to wake from sleep. That's good, amen. To restore from a dead or damaged position. Hallelujah. It means to heal, to raise to life. Cause something to exist. I've heard people testify sometimes to feel like, you know, even like they didn't understand how to exist before. I hear I heard lots of testimonies this morning talking about identity, trying to find out who I am. And it's not you've always been important. Believe that with all my heart. There's not a person in this world that is not important. You have value. You are an image bearer of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You have value this morning. But I'm going to tell you, if you really want to know why you're here, what God has called you to do, if you really want to know your purpose, go to the one who created you. Go to the King. I love how it says here, to cause something to exist, because when you come to Jesus, it really feels like, whoo, I get it now. I'm starting to figure out why I'm here, what God wants me to do. And God has a plan for you and to trust you. And I've said this multiple times as a beater already, but sometimes he only opens one door at a time for you. And you got to have the courage to walk through it. But trust this morning that he has raised you to life. And the word for life in the Greek here in this passage in Romans 6, 4 is Zoe. The more common word for life is Zeo, which talks about everyday life. But Zoe it talks about life. It talks about physical or spiritual life. It talks about eternal life. It talks about life that is brought. It is such a, I mean, it's such a powerful word in this context. When you are buried with Christ, you are buried with Christ, then you get to enjoy the resurrection as Christ enjoyed it. I mean, we think about death in a way today, and 
I wouldn't, I wouldn't say any of us are looking forward to death. But I've been on, at some deathbeds in my life and privileged to be there. And I'm going to tell you there's a stark difference between those who know Jesus and those who don't. One fears death. One looks like the other one has his joy that reminds them that the eternal life they've been invited to is about to begin, really. This sacred play, this demonstration of our faith today is so amazing that when we go down in the water, all our sins are washed. You know, this is a representation of what Jesus Christ has already done in your heart through the Spirit of God. Sins are washed. The problem that Adam brought into the world is sin has been taken away. And you're given this gift through Jesus Christ, this grace. And because he rose from the grave, we have this eternal life that we now can begin to live. Notice I'm telling, like, don't wait until you actually get to heaven to begin to live your eternal life. Live it now. Live for Jesus now. You want to know what changes people's lives? Is when you live Jesus in front of them. When you show them uncommon kindness. I love the word mercy because it represents uncommon kindness. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. It's a free gift, but mercy is not getting what we do deserve. It's when God holds back the punishment that we deserve and he takes it upon himself. That on that cross, he took the weight of all of our sins. He felt the full gravity of all of our sin. It makes the word forsaken seem so much more real to understand that when he had all that sin upon him, he had to be forsaken by his own father to feel empty, to feel broken, to feel all of that sin, all of your sin and my sin. He had to feel it all. And he did it all. So that when we die with him, we get to rise with him. You got to understand that word with is so important. And we get to live now with him. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, not as it will be. What a great thing we get to celebrate here today. Amen. I'm excited about baptizing more and more people. I'm excited about filling this place. I'm excited about the Spirit of God changing your neighborhoods. I'm excited about God speaking to you about discipling somebody. You know, when he said, go into all the world, make disciples of every nation, that wasn't just for pastors. You have all been called to make disciples. Consider the eyes that are watching you. Consider the ears that are listening to you. You know, welcome them. Take your arms and wrap them around them and say, I'll walk this life with you. These new believers, they need someone to walk with them, to disciple them, you know? That's how, that's the greatest discipleship program a church can ever stop is when we decide that I'm going to have somebody in my life that I'm discipling and I'm going to let myself be discipled by somebody else. When that's happening in the life of the church, it is the greatest discipleship program you will ever see in your life. We cannot be baptized into the faith Christ without moving from death to life, from old to new, from natural to eternal. It would be the same as someone 
getting dunked under the water, coming up bone dry. This doesn't make sense. So today, for those of you who made your public declaration of faith, you are acknowledging that you have died to your sin. You are buried with him in his death. You are raised with him. You are and will be resurrected with him. Hallelujah. And you have new life. Hallelujah. And I love the fact that it's evident by listening to those testimonies today that you have already asked the question, so what? Now let it affect your life. Let yourself live different. Let it reach out to the people, you know. The one gentleman, I'd have to put you on the spot, but the guy who said, you know, why are you a Christian? I hope you can answer that now. I'm excited to hear about the results from you answering that now. Amen? Oh, so good. Romans 6, 4 again, it says, We were, you are, therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may, you also may, live a new life. Hallelujah. Father, we're so grateful today for your blessings. So grateful for the word. So grateful for the amazing sermon from Pastor Connie last week that set this week up so perfectly, talking about grace, Lord Jesus. So thank you for this free gift. And Lord, today, if there's anything in our heart that is stopping us from accepting the gift, it is the only way to the cross. It is the only way through to, to be saved, Lord Jesus, to accept this free gift, Lord Jesus. If we're here today and say, no, I can't accept that. i got to work this out. I can be good by myself. Bring the revelation this morning that reminds us that we cannot do this ourselves. Leo Tolstoy found out. Dostoevsky found out. And so many other people in the world found out that we cannot do this ourselves. We need the grace of God. And so, Lord, if somebody needs to be freed from the thought that they have to earn this, Lord Jesus, maybe they've had to earn everything in their life. Maybe they haven't had anybody to help them to this point. Holy Spirit, Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father, Comforter, come and speak to that soul today and remind them that you're here and they're not alone anymore. Help them to accept this free gift. In the name of Jesus, we pray. I'm going to ask the baptism candidates if you just come on up here with me one more time this morning. <laughs> oh man, there were so many illustrations going on here this morning. I'm like, I got to tell this story when I preach sometime. Praise God, man, when you <laughs> when you soak when you soak that paper in the water, that. that man, my heart just jumped because I'm thinking to myself, isn't that the way it is though? We come with our own script. And God says, now nah, let me do let me do something different. But he found his words, didn't he? It's pretty awesome. So we would just want to take some time. We want to pray for these candidates. And uh, you just pass me the mic. I'm just going to... I like the idea of the person who waited in the water with them be the ones to pray this morning. I think that that works good, but 
I just want to bless you guys. You know, never be afraid to ask the question, so what? Every day you wake up and say, why am I doing this? Challenge yourself to walk with God. Pastor Connie. God, we just thank you for your amazing grace in our lives. You love us each one so very much. And I just thank you for each person today that has made that decision to follow you in the water of baptism. God, I pray that you would just help them today. Help them as they move forward to just put their trust in you for everything that they need. That you would encourage them. That they would just sense how much you love them and how pleased you are with them and who they that they would know even at a deeper level who they are in Christ that they are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus and they they would have the freedom to live in the way that you would want them to live God thank you for each one and God we just we just pray that if there are those here today even that are considering that decision that this would be the day that they would say yes it's my turn (laughs) I want to do that as well God we thank you and I just pray as they go into the week Lord that they would just sense your peace and your presence uh, upon their lives God in Jesus name we pray amen